Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's COSIDA Race and Social Justice webinar series. We are pleased to offer this session on Critical Conversation, the COSIDA mailbag, um, where our panel here will answer some of your questions on diversity, equity, and inclusion in college athletics. Uh, we want to take a moment and welcome uh, our presenters. First, uh, I'm delighted to uh, host us today. I'm Jason Fine. I'm dire Director of Athletics at Bates College up in Maine. Um, I'll serve also as a panelist, but I also uh, get to host. I'm in my fourth year here at Bates. I've spent time previously as uh, an athletic director at two institutions prior to here, but probably uh, appropriately also a former SID and have a huge uh, appreciation for the jobs that everybody on this uh, webinar does and all that you're dealing with. Uh, on your daily uh, in daily lives and the value you bring to uh, the lives of our student athletes. So let me start just by saying thank you and I'm uh, excited to be here. I'm gonna turn it over to the rest of our panelists to introduce themselves and then we'll get on uh, to the mailbag and your questions. Perfect, thank you, Jason. Um, I'm Tangela Cheatham. I'm the Director of Student Athlete Enhancement at West Virginia University. And I've been here, I'm going into my fourth year now um, and I wanted to take advantage of being on this panel uh, because the intersection of sport and social justice has always been important to me as a big part of why I pursued a career in intercollegiate athletics administration. And so I'm having um, I'm having an exciting time over the past year. I, I get to co-chair or chair our diversity, equity and inclusion committee here at West Virginia. And I'm looking forward to this panel discussion um, today. Thank you. My name is Kelvin Quellis. I'm the Assistant Athletic Director here for External, uh, overseeing Communications, Marketing, Creative. I've been here on and off for years, uh, originally from New York City. Um, and really diversity here, we just launched our Privateers for Equality plan. Uh, diversity is a big piece of, of why I'm still in this field. It's a, it's a big piece as to why we're trying to enhance, you know, the way the, the field looks. So um, I'm definitely very, very excited to speak to you guys for the next hour. Hello everyone, my name is Michael Sante. I'm Senior Director of Compliance and Membership Services for the Big East Conference. I'm really looking forward to today to having a conversation you know, around a variety of topics in the diversity, inclusion, and um, uh, in inclusion space. Uh, right now I work uh, with our SAT group uh, in terms of helping them develop programming. Uh, a lot of our programming related to professional development of our student athletes uh, and some supportive work for our diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, working group for the Big East Conference. Uh, I'm really uh, happy to be joined here on this diverse panel, giving perspectives from a variety of backgrounds and, and positions. Uh, and I look forward to hoping to be able to answer some of the questions that you all are presenting today. Well, I'm excited to be here with all of you. Thanks again for having me. Uh, once again, thank you to everybody for joining us uh, out in the audience today. Before we uh, begin, let me say a quick thank you to COSIDA and to the COSIDA Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Uh, for sponsoring this series. Just as a reminder, there'll be an on-demand version of this uh, webinar that'll be posted later today on COSIDA.com and on COSIDA's YouTube channel. Um, we'll also have this as a podcast. You'll be able to download it uh, from the services listed on COSIDA.com. You will not be able to get away from this podcast. We will find you, you will listen to it, you will watch it, and you will enjoy it. Um, please invite your colleagues to listen and watch the on-demand webinar. It's free to everyone. Uh, thanks to everyone who submitted questions in advance. Um, definitely want to encourage folks to continue to submit any questions you might have. You can place them in the chat box and your questions will hopefully be addressed uh, throughout the webinar. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to see what questions have come in. 
um, and our great panel is going to jump in and we're going to try to make this as conversational and as useful um, as possible for everyone. So I see we do have our, our first question, um, which is how do we gain interaction from staff, coaches, and student athletes in the digital world? So anyone like to uh, jump in on this one first? Yes, I'll, I'll jump in first since that's what I oversee. I had a feeling it might be you, Kevin. <laughs> uh, so what we do here, we partner with a couple of uh, groups. So Open Doors is one group that we partner with. Um, and so what we've done, and specifically geared towards diversity and inclusion, uh, with Privateers for Equality, when we designed the T-shirt and we came up with our plan, we sent the graphic to every single student athlete and every coach, anybody that was a part of that group, and it goes out directly on their social media. They can uh, work on the caption, but everybody gets the same image with themselves rather than you know just a, a random shirt. And that's allowed us to, to uh, promote it, I think, better, uh, just because the reality is most of our student athletes have more followers on their personal accounts than we do on the team accounts. Yeah, I would agree um, with finding ways to engage them on social media and making it personal to them. Um, that's, that's one of the ways that we've gained more um, participation for all of our initiatives um, is tagging our student athletes and coaches on things and then they'll reshare those uh, from their team pages. And then also if there's an opportunity for messaging to come from like our senior level administration, that also helps with getting some of our student athletes, uh, staff and coaches involved in kind of engaging publicly on social media it helps a lot. Uh, and, and I would agree that, you know, it's interesting in a, in a COVID year, um, it's actually probably been a little bit easier for us uh, to engage in that digital world with with all of our uh, constituencies because we've been virtual and we haven't had to worry also how are we going to get people out to program um, and it's allowed us to open up um, a much larger um, you know uh, bullpen of, of speakers and um, initiatives uh, around diversity and inclusion around other things as well um, that basically was you know as simple as finding, you know, who was gonna gonna facilitate and and how we got folks on a Zoom. So I thought that was interesting um, from our standpoint this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess to just piggyback off what Jason said, I, I feel like uh, one of our most impactful programs that we've been uh, putting on this year has been our conversations for change. And, and you know, to to Jason's point, it's allowed us to broaden that uh, reach of, of these of these type of programs, as well as to uh, solicit speakers um, from a variety of different places all across the country. I know that some success that we've had has been in. Um, introducing uh, our constituents to books and materials and educational uh, documents that are helpful in, in helping them refine their understanding of uh, this space, not just from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, but, but also from a social justice space. We did have a, uh, a, a program where we uh, did a re recap and, and review of, the, of a movie called The Hate You Give uh, and gave uh, an opportunity for our student athletes to talk about what they noticed in the movie, as well as have some uh, conversational type questions that we presented out to the group. So I think uh, to Jason's point, this digital world that we live in, this virtual space that we live in has uh, provided us uh, an opportunity to, to, to cast a wider net not just from participants and attendees, but from uh, professionals that could be uh, of service to our constituents in our in our variety of uh, stakeholders. It's allowed us also to get a little more creative, um, you know, frankly, with, with borrowing ideas from our peers as well, because there's so much out there on social media about programs that other institutions are doing. 
that you can um, you know join in on those and then get some some great ideas to bring back uh, to your you know virtual campus so to speak so um, I think when it comes to around areas of diversity it probably leads us um, and I'll, I'll hop in and take the next question and I'm going to take the liberty of combining the next two questions for us because I think they're related about how do how do we determine departmental DEI uh, priorities and then there's a, another question right after that about staff and administrators um, often being overlooked when promoting diversity and inclusion initiatives and what are ways possibly to highlight them alongside the student athletes and coaches I, I'll just speak from from our standpoint um, of what we've done here is you know um, is done the same thing that we've done in, in other areas that we've tried to explore, which is really be collaborative and try to include as many people as possible in the in the process. Um, sometimes you end up duplicating resources and efforts and, and things are being done in other areas of campus and athletics can tend to, you know, um, retreat into our, our little bubble. Um, so, you know, I think getting in touch with the other stakeholders and in our, in our case that included um, staff and other administrators but student athletes, SAC, um, our coaches, our, our vice president of equity and inclusion. Um, we have a, an office of intercultural education. Um, and we, we to, to what Michael was saying earlier, we really created a social justice action plan that included uh, student athletes and coaches of color group, included a social just, justice um, a coalition of, of, of student athletes and staff together that were interested in, in doing that work. So, I think it's important to just remember um, in determining priorities that you want to be collaborative and remember across all those constituencies, and that includes obviously your staff and your administrators. Yeah, I'll jump in next. You know, I definitely also feel like utilizing resources to, to get feedback from your staff is very helpful. Uh, surveys are tremendously helpful because it allows individuals to provide that feedback um, anonymously, and sometimes you know these topics are uh, of un uh, are un uncomfortable to sometimes bring to the table. So you know, providing uh, outlets and opportunities for your staff to weigh in on issues that are that are impactful to them, and I think that also helps to the second question about being able to engage um, your, your staff. I mean, you know, I think giving your staff an opportunity to feel comfortable talking about these issues being comfortable um if they're if they are overlooked being able to say hey look this is something that i'm really interested in this is something i'm passionate about is there a way for me to be part of this program uh, and it's giving those type of opportunities uh to your staff making them comfortable with being able to come into your office and ask those type of questions i think um go go a long way with with providing a level of comfort uh, and a level of caring and understanding that sometimes we need in order to move the ball forward. I agree um, wholeheartedly with both of you again, working with your campus partners. So I think most institutions have a diversity or office of um, a division or office of diversity, equity and inclusion. And, and those offices have plans that you can start with if you don't have anything, right? Um, and then the next part is to look at what are we already doing? So um, I think over the last 10 months, especially, with everything that kind of started last summer, one thing I noticed that a lot of our institutions or corporations were at different starting points, right? So I think one thing I would not suggest to do is kind of look at what everyone else is doing and just try to model that. What I would what I would suggest is saying, well, what are we doing? 
what can we do first, right, to have an impact? And then what can we do to continue learning so that what we're doing isn't viewed as performative, right? So what are we doing that's going to help us to continue these initiatives, but we have to start somewhere. So I think tapping into those campus partners, those conference office um, initiatives, and then figuring out what are kind of those low-hanging fruit pieces that we can start with, and then how do we continue growing and developing with that? And I think when you look at that from kind of a top down, then you can get people involved because you're going to have some coaches that are very passionate about these topics. You're going to have some standout student athletes that are passionate. And then um, you're going to have your senior administrators that are passionate um, about that. Also, I would suggest kind of looping in your senior admin on everything that you're doing. Um, even if you are a senior administrator, getting someone else on board um, with you. So those are kind of my suggestions for kind of de determining um, departmental needs. And I love surveys. So ask the people because then when they have buy-in, I think they're more likely um, to kind of follow through on those things. Yeah, I, I can't agree with her more. Uh, you know, first is assessing what your campus is doing. Obviously for us, and, and we make no qualms about it, we're smaller staff. Our, our executive staff, we have five people in the executive staff, four are minorities, whether it's Hispanic or African-American. So for us, it's it's been, what can we do currently with the staff that we have? We have aspirational goals with our strategic plan, but what can we do currently with everybody pulling multiple roles and not add too much more on their plate, but also assess what is most important because for us, diversity and inclusion is one of our core values. So we need to we need to assess that first. So one of the things that we did was, uh, as, as everyone on this panel has mentioned, you have to talk to the university side. Uh, in large part, the university side already has done something or is planning on doing something. So we need to mirror what they're doing in a different type of way because athletics is different, but we still need to follow those values that the university has set. So we did that here. And I think a, a large part of it is also from the survey side that, that everyone has mentioned, a lot of people may not feel comfortable telling you face to face. Some people are very introverted and they want to give their opinion. They just can't do it around other people. And and sometimes with some of these meetings, if you have 20 to 30 people in the meeting. Um, you know that's not the right setting for them. So the surveys are crucial. So I think everybody again, we, we would agree with that. And and I think you have to look at your campus first and assess there what can you do without worrying about what other people are doing because the chances of us catching up to say you know West Virginia with the staff size we have, we can't do that overnight. And and, and reaching out uh, to as many folks as possible, whether it be through a survey or social media, using all the tools um, at your disposal, because as we know, especially with student athletes, it's so hard to, I mean, the email, they don't, they don't check their email, you know? <laughs> so, They've never heard of email, so. <laughs> that's right. They go, well, I emailed you, well, there was your first, first problem, right? Yeah. Um, Curious to know from, from all of you, um, <clears throat> this question, excuse me, about uh, with Black History Month coming up, this probably would extend to other initiatives as well. What, what some ways that schools and conference offices can promote Black History Month outside of the typical, you know, social media graphic, do something uh, with more meaning. What are some plans? Perfect. I'll jump in um, for Black History Month. These are actually some conversations that we're having right now as we prepare uh, for Black History Month and we sort of tapped into a group of our student athletes as well as our diversity, equity and inclusion committee, which is called Every Mountaineer. And one thing I always think is important, I really like context, right? So I think 
doing something about why does Black History Month exist could be a great thing to do. It's not just a graphic, but that's something that can be shared with your department, that can be shared with your teams. Why is this the thing? Um, sometimes I have gotten feedback of, well, there's no White History Month, right? And so how do we answer or how do we reply to that? And why, do, again, just why does it exist? I think that's one thing that a lot of organizations and institutions could do, uh, just because I think it's that lack of awareness. Um, we just heard, oh, we don't, a lot of us don't know that it started as a one week that kind of extended into a month long celebration of, of Black people, um, not only in America, but in the world. So I think starting there is great. And then anytime you can make things a department-wide initiative, and I think get some of your top-down buy-in, I think that makes a big difference as well. So still do your graphic, right? Because you want to put things out, but um, how do you get buy-in? And I think give people some context and then um, kind of sell it from the top down. Yeah, to take to take that step forward, I think that uh, at least for for our our, our conference office uh, in the conversations we've been having is to to look at it more from an educational perspective, introducing people to uh, historical black figures. Uh, we are fortunate enough to have a number of our schools uh, in huge cities which have rich history uh, in in civil rights and in black history. Um, so I think highlighting some of those um, items that are specific to these in uh, these um, cities and towns that that our institutions are in provides some level of connectivity for our uh, student athletes into their community and for the community into uh, an understanding of, of how their city has evolved uh, in this space. Uh, and, you know, something that I've definitely thought about the last couple of years has been trying to change this narrative that we can only highlight Black history during a certain month, right? Black history is American history and American history should be honored uh, throughout the entire year. So I think that while there is a month to focus on this, our goal and our understanding should be, we need to be talking about these issues over the course of the year and integrate some of these issues that are related to not just uh, at black history, but women's women's rights, women's history. I know there's a, there's a, um, uh, a, a Hispanic and Latino History Month uh, later on in the year and looking at highlighting all of these varieties of months uh, to, to maybe put together some sort of year-long programming as opposed to focusing, uh, hyper-focusing on these items and issues uh, during a particular month. It should be something that we're integrating over the course of the year. So that's Again, not something that Big East Conference is talking about, more so Michael's philosophy in that space and something that I'm trying to communicate to others uh, around me. Yeah, in agreeing with, uh, with, with what Michael said, I mean, for us, we try not to do one-offs, uh, whether it's mental health, whether it's diverse planning. Uh, the one-offs just, if you do it once and then you forget about it, I mean, what, how tangible was that for student athletes and for staff? Um, one thing that we've done here, New Orleans is very diverse. Um, our athletic director, Tim Duggan, very much believes in, in us being an Afro-driven program. So we've already spoken to, to the SAC reps and to the Projects for Equality uh, team and we're doing, we're allowing them to do takeovers on the website, on social media, on videos, and not just on their personal accounts, but on ours. And the reason why we, we decided to do that is we don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. Your experience could be very different than somebody else's, but the reality is everybody has a story to tell and they feel more com comfortable when they're bought into what you're doing. Our student athletes, like we just alluded to that earlier, they don't check emails. I send them an IGDM right now and they'll, they'll respond within two seconds. Um, so they're they're bought in into this because in large part, number one, they're doing it on their terms, which is the social media side. And secondly, we know that they can handle that in a way that we just can't, we don't want to put words in their mouth. So that's what we're doing here. And, and I think to, to everyone's point, I think 
it can't just be something that you can just do once or twice. There has to be a plan going into it because February is right around the corner. If you decide to plan this January 30th, you know, it's gonna it's gonna reflect if you just do a graphic and there's nothing tangible with that graphic. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, um, the interaction through social media, like you say, if you send them a, a DM, um, knowing that they can get an answer back from us as well that way is something that I think is, is it, it used to, you know, maybe not be seen as kind of an appropriate, you know, form of maybe communication, but I think that um, it gives our student athletes probably a little more license to, to feel that their ideas are heard as well. And to Michael's point, um, you know, this should not be just a once a year thing and whether it be uh, Black History Month or Hispanic and Latino or LGBTQ, you name it. Um, I think what it get, does is it gives us a chance to have a month to kind of highlight and set the tone for the rest of the year. Um, and whether it be something that continues on with your with your staff or with your student athletes, a, a book club, an initiative, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Michael, you said it's your philosophy, but I really think that should be kind of the way that we look at this is that this is a way to highlight things, but set the tone, not put it in a drawer like like holiday decorations at, you know, on January 6th. So, um, so I think that was a, a great point. Um, and, and Michael, there, there is a, a specific question to you that does kind of probably piggyback on this a little bit about how you uh, have been able to set the stage from a conference standpoint. Uh, but have the schools drive the initiative. So if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's something that, that we, we, we typically work through, not just with topics related to this, but anything that we're looking at <laughs> our institutions to support. Uh, and it's really about uh, having um, this shared buy-in, right? I think Angela mentioned that early on. When folk, when everyone's involved in the decision-making process, that makes a, a implementation a lot easier. Uh, so what we like to do whenever we're putting th these type of programs together is to create uh, or have uh, committees flow through our governance structure where there's in, in, um, participation uh, in, in um, individuals serving on these committees from all across of our all across our institutions uh, and coming up with solutions for this. So it's not necessarily conference driven, right? The conference creates the infrastructure for these type of programs to be created, but we are working with our membership to make sure that we're meeting their needs as uh, many of our institutions have, you know, different fan bases and, and, and different affinity groups that are associated with their schools. So we have to find something that not just works for the Big East Conference, but works for all of our institutions. Um, and collaboration is, is the best way forward uh, for us in that space. Does it work all the time? No. Uh, but when folks are part of the conversation, uh, getting folks to buy in becomes a little bit easier. I, I think um, the next question uh, is interesting. We talked about this, the panelists, a little bit in our, in our pre-call. Um, which is another area of, of diversification um, in regards to age discrimination in hiring. So, um, you know, as the person, uh, I, somehow, you know, I used to run a little thing called YC for those that knew that, and uh, I think we became middle-aged C. Uh, somehow I'm the oldest one here. Um, so, not sure when exactly that happened, but, um, it's an interesting uh, question, and uh, I think uh, in our conversation earlier, we, we were trying to kick around some of the, the thoughts around um, around it, and, and really what we came up with, and I think, Tangela, you, you hit on it uh, uh, first, was that it's just like other, other areas of, of diversification and making sure that um, you're taking the steps to um, make sure you're not uh, discriminating in, in any way, including in age. So, 
so maybe you, you just follow up on, on your comment that you had earlier in our pre-call and then we can we can kick that around a little bit. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Um, one thing that we've been talking about here, right, on our committee is a lot of places are coming up with kind of these search um, tool kits, right? So when you put your search committee together, you have a toolkit of things that you're going to consider. And I think putting things in there strategically, that's going to help you to make kind of a clear decision on who you're going to hire will help as you look at this issue of discrimination on the base of age, race, sex, whatever it is. And um, because again, there can be discrimination for you know, see more seasoned or older professionals, as well as uh, those who are trying to break into the industry or younger, um, because you can be breaking into the industry even, you know, as an older professional or right. So, so we don't want to discriminate uh, based on that. But I think you can include some of that in kind of that search committee training that you do those toolkits that you create and be strategic about that. That was kind of my note um, during that that conversation earlier. Yeah, and, and Michael, you had a, a good point as well about, you know, using that that seasoning to your advantage. Muted. Talk, yes, talk, sorry about that. Talking about your, your uh, knowledge of the organization's history, I think that that is something that is a, is a very underrated um, attribute is when you have some of that historical knowledge, whether it be around decisions that were made, whether it be around, um, you know, uh, things that are going on at your organization uh, historically. I think that that information is very helpful. And I know that we also talked about uh, accessibility and building out programs to support uh, individuals in a variety of these spaces. I know we sometimes talk about having these employee resource groups, maybe for uh, uh, individuals of color or, or individuals who identify as LGBTQ. I think these type of resource groups uh, could be supportive of um, issues related to to discrimination and and also provide some some support for some of those perceived issues that may be there. Right? There's this perception that you know the the older employees may not have the same knowledge as others as it comes to the technology space. So as an organization looking to serve those individuals and help support those efforts uh, of of helping them evolve in 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 and learn. Uh, I think could be something that could be helpful in that space as well. And I think it falls right under that diversity, equity, and inclusion umbrella with that accessibility uh, piece and component. Kelvin, you know, you you had an interesting take on this as well. And we've known each other a long time when you were just uh, coming up in the in the business and probably see it from a little bit of a different view. Right. And, uh, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough. I was at City College, right out of college. So I was 21 as an assistant AD, now I'm 31. Um, so seeing seeing the field shift for me personally, and, and I can only speak about what we do, I never look at a year that someone graduated. And, and obviously, you know, a year can tell you roughly, um, there are extenuating circumstances where a year can tell you roughly when somebody, how old somebody is, but I never look at that. For us, it's more so about, let's look at your, your work samples and just the communication that we have. Again, uh, for us, it's about fit. Um, it doesn't matter what spectrum you're on. Um, for me, I was, again, now seeing it from the opposite side, seeing it, it's more so about being accessible, but also understanding where is it that you fit within within our athletic department, not just in the communications department, but within our athletic department is, even, let's say let's say you're older and you don't know social media as well, just as an example, but you're a better writer than anybody that's in there. Are you now the, the feature story writer and somebody else can handle social media? And that's something that's a good fit, in my opinion, just because you're fitting an area of need and somebody else can pick up your area of weakness. And so for me, more, more importantly, I think the fact is um, I, the, the age side of it isn't necessarily something that 
it's talked about as much, unfortunately, but it is something that if you become accessible and if you sell yourself, I think more times than not, you'll be able to 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 break into whatever industry you're trying to get into. I, I think you touch on a great point. It's really about you know flexibility, right? And and again, uh, you know, someone may bring great writing skills, may not be the the best social media person or or whatever it is, but how um, we look at building our staff, whether it be in AD, whether it be in communications, whether uh, wherever it be, um, you know, uh, to try to touch on everyone's passion and what everyone is kind of good at. Um, I think there's always reasons that people don't get jobs or that people, unfortunately, especially this past year, have lost their jobs. Um, and I think that the perception, um, you know, to that person is very real. Um, it might be a little different to whoever that hiring manager was or whoever made that decision was. Um, and I don't know which one is necessarily wrong or right, but um, we've all probably been in that position where I didn't get that job because I was too young. I didn't get that job because I was too old. I didn't get that job because of the color of my skin. I didn't get that color, that job because of what, uh, whatever, you know, thing it, it was. And if, if, you know, age is a tough thing, I think in the person who asked the question, um, mentioned, you know, hiring practices and the, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. I think that all places and HR managers are very aware of that. And I know that anybody here that's done hiring um, or unfortunately firing, um, you're always wondering if someone is part of any type of protected class, whether it be age or, or otherwise. So it really has to be about the work, um, in my opinion. And um, going back to something that we said earlier, you know, allowing for professional development opportunities, no matter how old someone is, no matter what uh, their, um, you know, perceived deficiency is in the area to say, are we doing the best we can to give them the best opportunity to be successful? That's what we try to do with our coaching staff. That's what we try to do with our student athletes. Um, it should be the same thing with our, our professionals in, in certainly in athletics communications. And I think we've seen a huge shift and a huge change. Um, and as an AD, I know I get calls from a lot of my SID friends because you know it's easy to blame the AD. Um, and, and a lot of times the AD deserves the blame. Not gonna not gonna lie about that. Um, we'll cover that up. So I think communicating and flexibility is so important and um, saying how can I best provide uh, you know that fit and that service that 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 Kelvin's mentioning. Um, yeah. I was gonna yeah, add. Sorry, and being honest and like feedback, right? I think all of us go through some type of annual review or six month review, right? Where you're being honest with your employees or people you work with about, you know, where you think it could be growth or, you know, what, where we want to move into from, you know, a communication space or whatever area we work in, whether student services, we want to provide that feedback um, because I think that'll help, help those folks to continue to develop um, honestly, right through that honest feedback. So it goes under professional development, but I think feedback is just such a big, important part of that. Yeah. yeah. Being honest and, and, you know, hopefully, um, being constructive in the criticism and that probably goes on to the to the next question that we have as well when it comes to the student athletes it does seem that's a little harder these days to provide some constructive criticism whether it be of student athletes whether it be of staff whether it be of yourself right and holding yourself accountable um and and i think that's a great a great point that you made and uh it, it kind of leads us to the next question which is talking about posts on social media from people who mean well but it's not always received as it was intended. 
um, and how can we help our student athletes and others, I would definitely put you know, staff in there as well, um, without telling them what to say, because you want people to have their own voice, but if the words aren't being received as they were intended, how do you navigate that? I think we probably have a lot to say on this one. I'll, I'll sit back for a minute, see what you all think. Uh, from the social media side, so uh, I know we talked about what we do here, but uh, it's never just blindly, hey, here's the password and take over. There's always a communication that's had before. Um, you know, what is that you're trying to say? Not putting words in somebody's mouth, but at the end of whatever it is, whether it's an hour, whether it's a full day, at the end of it, best case scenario, what is it that you want this to portray? Worst case scenario, what do you think this will portray? And I think you have to look at both spectrums because some people, not everyone's going to agree with your viewpoint, whether it's it's any of us or whether it's a student athlete, whether it's a staff or whatever the case is, not everyone's going to agree with that. But if you look at both ends of the spectrum, I think it allows you to say, maybe I do need to reword this or maybe I need to rephrase this. And now you can you can still be yourself or refrain from something that could be perceived as negative. Um, and, and I think a, a lot of times, too, uh, our athletes do have their own voice. They just need help getting that out. Um, I think a lot of them are worried, especially with NIL coming up, a lot of them are worried about, you know, is this going to affect my brand? Is this going to affect my bottom dollar? Am I going to be able to make money if I, if I take a stance on political or, or religion or whatever the case is? So we always have those conversations ahead of time because I think it's important for them to know, you know, best case scenario, it's this, worst case scenario is this. Now, it, you know, it's up to you. It's your, it's, it's your following, but you have to think about both sides in my Yeah, I think for me, I think what's really important in this space is education. I think, you know, Kelvin has touched on that. I, I think providing uh, opportunities for students to come in, learn about these issues in more detail and more depth uh, outside of what they're seeing in their own um, space, I, I think it's, it's helpful in, in helping them formulate uh, their opinions on, on, on certain things. I, I also think it's, it's helpful for um, you know, for staff to just be there in, in supportive roles, right? Sometimes a student just needs to talk through some of these issues, and if a, and if a staff member can be there just to have a conversation with that student, they, there could be um, some uh, positive responses from that student athlete in terms of how they want to deliver their message. And I think also letting students know that the only way, it's that social media is not the only way to provide an impact. I think that that's one avenue and using your voice is, is one component, but I think that there are a variety of different ways that you could do, you can lead by example, you could you know, create programming for your peers in, in your, not just your peers from a student athlete perspective, but from a general student body perspective. I think that there are a, a variety of volumes in which this messaging uh, can be delivered uh, and understand that everybody's not going to be um, supportive of what you're saying. Some people are gonna feel opposite of that, but that does not mean one, that does not mean you're wrong or, or right in your perspective. It just means that there's a differing of opinions. Uh, and I think that that's the challenge that we've seen the last couple of years uh, is there's not room for this dialogue that needs to be had. And we need to be learning from each other. And that's what I think would be helpful. Uh, educating your student athletes about these issues in detail, listening to your student athletes through surveys to know what topics they're interested in learning more about. Uh, and then when you normalize those type of conversations, your students then become comfortable coming to you and saying, hey, look, I've, I've been working on this issue. I've had some thoughts about this issue. I want to do something. I'm not sure what it is. And you work with that student athlete to come up with a solution uh, to meet whatever problem they're having. So I think education kind of obviously is a broad um, um, 
overarching you know concept but i think when you start to to normalize these conversations you open up doors uh for future communications and, and, and additional uh feedback that you could be providing to your student athletes to help them come up and craft uh their approach to whatever it is they're trying to do yeah i i agree wholeheartedly um dialogue is so important and i think that's what's going to lead um to like ultimate change right the conversations that you have with people in certain settings or even one-on-one -on -one, i think will lead to a bigger impact maybe than some of the larger things that we see um put out by corporations or institutions or uh, by our student athletes these big statements uh, but kind of following up on that again education and having them know like you can say whatever you want to say, just be prepared for the feedback. And if you continue educating yourself, I, I saw a few situations this past fall where, you know, we had some things come out and we received a lot of feedback. And some of our student athlete interactions led to positive, uh, positive outcomes with some of the folks they were interacting with. So just understanding that you can say, and I think we've seen this over the last few weeks uh, with some of the things that we've seen transpires, you can absolutely say what you want to say just be prepared for the feedback that you're going to get and, and be ready to handle that and understand how you can go and learn more to deal with those issues. I can't agree with you more on dialogue and education. I think those are important things. And then it also goes back to the relationships that you've been building with your student athletes over time, because I, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with some of my young men and women about some of the things that we're dealing with um, in, in all of these different identities. Um, and we're able to talk through some things and then maybe some way that they would have responded, it'll be a little different now. The message will still be the same, uh, but they'll just navigate it a little differently. So I think relationships, education and understanding, you know, what's done is going to be done. Just be prepared to handle it. You know, social media has come so far, almost full circle in a way. And I think that, you know, the, the interesting thing is um, so many folks now think that if it if it wasn't on social media, it didn't actually happen. Like it still can happen, even if it's not, you know, you didn't just put it out on, on your social. And, you know, without, uh, you know, uh, getting political, um, you know, this idea that the only way we can do it is to send it out on Twitter um, to get your message out is, is not true. So, um, and I think Tangela's point about, you know, uh, being prepared for that that feedback, and in some cases that that blowback uh, that you might get. Um, I, I think the the one thing that I would say, maybe being slightly slightly uh, more old fashioned, um, would be just similar to an email that you want to send or a, a letter that you want to send. If if you're not sure, maybe just take a take a beat and wait um, to see, because there are so many good initiatives, as Michael said, that you can can put forth. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, the intent is is there, but you got to think about the impact of the of the words and the things that we're, you know, putting out there as well. Which I think, um, you know, probably leads us well into this next uh, question, um, which is is a is a meaty one about um, how important it is for colleagues to be able to have a healthy discussion on topics that might be a little more heated, um, maybe a little more controversial, maybe a little more touchy. Um, especially when it comes to the use of certain words that can be taken the wrong way. I'm not sure specifically about what words the, the, the question asker is, is asking us about, um, but you know, I, I think that this is something that certainly this year, if, if you weren't having difficult conversations around um, race, around politics, around any number of topics, you're having them this year. 
right? And whether those you whether you're doing it with your kids, whether you're doing it with your family, whether you're doing it online, or whether you're doing it with your staff. Um, yeah, we have to be having these conversations. It's the only way that we move forward, in my opinion, um, you know, towards change, but also uh, towards making this healthy discourse that I think Michael kind of uh, alluded to a little bit before that you can have you can have two sides of an argument, you can have three sides of an argument, you can hash that stuff out. But um, I think what we've lost uh, over the last couple of years here is just some of that basic respect for others' opinions that could be different than yours. Just because you think it's right and I think it's wrong doesn't mean that neither one of us are right or wrong. Um, but to have those conversations right now, I think is so important. And you know, I'll say this as a as a a white male uh, administrator in this in this business when we're here really talking about race and social justice, um, that you know to not have those conversations, I'm not sure that could be a bigger example of of white privilege. I'm not sure that could be a bigger example of kind of hiding when you know when others can't do that uh, from the issues of of today. So you know that certainly includes our coaching staff and our and our student you know student athletes as well but at least from our standpoint we have had some great conversations ongoing um, about race and about saying uncomfortable things and why things offend people and why um, you know we need to be having these conversations and we keep pushing it ahead so that's a, a, just a little bit from our standpoint um, I would I think again, I think dialogue is going to change the world. I think my um my Facebook, you know how they show us these memories from a few years ago. Actually, my memory from a few years ago was me talking about how I will engage in any conversation, right? And we can talk about anything because my my goal is to understand where you're coming from. It's not necessarily to change my perception on the thing. And I'm not gonna change your perception necessarily, but I want you to have an understanding that multiple things can exist. And I think as we get to a better space of that, I think that will lead to a lot more understanding and um, opportunity to have tough conversations. I also want to talk about, you know, sometimes when we think about having these tough conversations, especially as it relates to like race, um, gender inclusivity, all of these kind of things that are tough, we, we can go to, I don't know, right? Um, a lot of times we go to, I don't know. And growing up, you know, I had a stack of encyclopedias. And so if I needed to learn something, I had to open it up and go and look. Now we have these things, right? And we can kind of Google everything. And so I say, I call things Googleable. Um, but there are a lot of people who have, have done a lot of research and put a lot of work into understanding or explaining why certain things are okay or why certain things aren't okay and so i think when you go and approach these conversations if you've done some background work that'll help you engage in that conversation and not necessarily uh, come up as defensive or uh, working to offend someone so uh, like you said jason i think um looking at you know going beyond i don't know and then being willing to look at your identities and figure out how you can engage in a constructive conversation about that topic is is what you can do to you know kind of progress and and understand differences in why you can or can't do something. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on, Tangela. And I also feel like, you know, part of, 
part of the challenge with these conversations is this inherent bias that we arrive at these conversations with, right? We all come from different backgrounds, different experiences, different uh, skin colors, genders. There are a variety of different things that influence our ability to see uh, the world. And we need to understand that we all arrive at the table with that. And we have, when we have that understanding about us arriving from different points uh, in life, I think that that makes for uh, a more understandable conversation. I think that makes for a more genuine and authentic conversation. And I think that's where you have the breakthroughs when folks uh, feel like they can be genuine and, and, and authentic with you, obviously within respectful terms. But I think that having the understanding that we're all arriving at this with different lived experiences that are influencing our perceptions, uh, I think is, is key. And I also think of being able to do this in in, in moderation, right? You know, I, a lot of times, you know, organizations want to, you know, something happens and they want to hit you with four or five, six weeks straight of programming. But again, this should be something similar to what I said earlier with Black History Month. This should not be something done in a vacuum. This should be something that we're doing over time and we're normalizing these conversations so that now when you're talking with a, with a, with a colleague, you know, your colleague might call you and say, hey, look, something just happened. I wanted to check on you. I wanted to let you know that I was thinking about you and you now created a dialogue in this conversation that you can have with other colleagues. So I think sometimes we get into the space of we're hyper-focused on these issues and we kind of beat them into the ground and folks then become a little bit um, less receptive to those conversations. But if we build this into, uh, you know, regular and normalized conversations that we're having with our staff, I think that that makes for a more impactful uh, delivery of whatever topic that you're talking about. So it's just something to keep in mind that that you're not just trying to drill down on this in a particular moment or in the wake of something happening, but that you're having these conversations consistently throughout the year so that you're developing these relationships in the level of comfort. Because I think you want to get to a point as an organization for folks to have these conversations one-on-one, -on -one, right? It doesn't always have to be in a group setting that folks feel comfortable enough with their colleagues that they could have a conversation with them about that, these topics that, of the day. I think uh, to, to touch on what Michael said, I think um, I don't necessarily always think it's pride, but just for sake of argument, I think pride is a, is a tough pill to swallow. And when you have two people on the opposite ends of the spectrum, you might say something that might be defensive to somebody else um so i think the first thing is if you if you're ready to have that conversation i think doing the research like tangela said that way you can go with something tangible and it's not now you two are just disrespecting each other the entire time because that's not healthy either um i think one thing that just to use personal example um one thing that we did here was you have to go to where they feel most comfortable so if it's social media if it's one-on-one -on -one, i don't think it's a one-size-fits-all so for uh, for myself and the athletic director he just wanted to do a video to get a lot of stuff on his chest. And we did it very similar to uncomfortable conversations with a black man. So it was it was our athletic director who's uh, African-American and myself who's Hispanic. And so we did that and we went through our our the way that we grew up. So for me, it was a lot different than him. Um, but we talked about that and then he had that conversation differently. He had that with somebody else that was white. He had uh, a police officer have that conversation with a student athlete. And those are the types of things that I think they bought into that because that was a medium that they wanted to do and get a lot off, off their chest. But I don't think you can force that issue. Um, they were ready to have that conversation. I think that's a big first step is you can't force that conversation. It needs to be ready to be had before you even approach that. Otherwise, that's when I think the disrespect starts. Yeah, and I think that you know the willingness of, of folks to be open 
to hearing what others' lived experiences are is, you know, is a is a step. It's a, it's a in some cases a baby step, in some cases it's a big step. And I've you know, depending on where you grew up, how you grew up, who you grew up with, um, you know, I think that's a step. And I think that uh, interestingly enough, um, whereas we've all been kind of trapped behind these screens now for almost a year, um, again, th there are some good things that can come out of that. And to Michael's point, kind of about everything in moderation, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to get your entire staff, or if you're a conference, your entire conference into the same space, um, you know, and give give have a whole day or two days of um, you know of work going on. You can do kind of you know at least what what we've done uh, at Bates recently, which is you know try to set aside an hour a week or a couple hours you know every other week. Um, where we get together on Zoom and we have conversations. Some are facilitated, some are not, and just open. But um, you know, I think that technology, whereas it's trapped us in some ways, it's also opened up that it, it is probably easier to do that moderation because over a longer period of time, you can have um, a bunch of maybe smaller meetings. Um, anyone else want to weigh in anything in there before we shift gears a little bit here? Yeah, I mean, I I did want to add something to that. I know that I had mentioned this earlier in terms of our conversations for change, but sometimes having uh, educational materials to facilitate some of these conversations, right? Folks love watching movies. Folks love reading books. I think those are opportunities for you to create dialogue. And again, people are watching. We've seen this all the time where somebody watches a movie and three different people see three, three different things. And that is the type of uh, conversation that we need to have, that perspective conversation. Um, so using some of these resources and tools that are out there that provide uh, some entertainment value to an individual, which which inherently leads to buy-in, uh, as well as the educational component of it to, to facilitate this conversation. So it doesn't necessarily always have to be a difficult conversation about a particular topic. I think using the various forms of art that are out there could help uh, and facilitating some of these difficult conversations. I agree because it takes it off of you sometimes, right? You can talk about the movie, the characters in the show, uh, the the characters in a book. It just helps to make it about someone else and then makes it relatable. So I, I agree full, full heartedly, wholeheartedly. Absolutely. I, I want to make sure uh, that we touch base on uh, National Girls and Women in Sport Day, but just uh, as an offshoot to this question real quick about what's a good way to start the conversation with your administration on doing more in this area. Um, you know, I'll just say from, from my standpoint, um, e this might be easy for me to say because I'm the AD, I would say you just do it. You know, I mean, there's a reason um, that that works so well for Nike so long. Um, it, it, I think that you'll find that uh, people you wanting to take initiative in an area as important as this, if, if there's some kind of pushback on that, then then I want to know who you're talking to. Um, so I, I would say, and, and open it up to, to the panel, um, you, you just do it. Get folks together and, and, and start. Anybody want to? Yeah, I'll jump in and, and, and say, you know, if folks, if more than likely you have ideas and concepts that you can bring to the table. So anytime you can bring something practical to the table, I think it's always strong for your, for your argument and for your conversation, right? If you're coming in there and saying, you know, I want to do something, but I don't know what it is, that may not be well received. So looking at doing your, the work on your end to, to present a, a proposal that is that has some 
meat into it, so a robust proposal that you could kind of walk into your, your AD or your boss's office and say, hey, look, I want to do something in this space. And here's three or four ideas on ways that we can execute it. So I think coming prepared uh, is always helpful for that conversation. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, when you're bought in, you you tend to, to want to be more involved. You're not going to do something if somebody else tells you what to do. And if you can bring something different to the table for a better way of doing it, then you should say that instead of just taking it for what it's worth and not speaking your mind. And now all of a sudden, now you have to execute a plan that you had no say in that you don't think is going to work, but you have to execute it because you decided not to say something. And love the just do it. Um, go for it, have at it. Um, and if you have other folks in your department or unit that also have interest in that thing, that's a, that's a good part to take with you um, in that proposal. Um, we have people from communications, marketing, licensing, um, student services who want to do something with this um, because it allows it to happen um, from a work standpoint, right? A workload standpoint. If you're going to bring something to your senior level administrators, uh, how can we make it happen? I think is what they always want to know. So that's how I try to approach it um, in my director seat. If you bring in something that you know you're not you're not putting more work necessarily onto someone else. You're saying here's here's something I want to do a challenge and I want to work on it. Then you know I think that it'll be received really well. Um, National Girls and Women in Sports Day uh, sometimes can be overlooked because of the timing in, in February. Uh, the questions about ways to promote um, the day, especially in a COVID atmosphere and National Signing Day as well as the same day uh, this year. How do you communicate with your women's sports coaches so that they will uh, not be left out and how important is that? Um, I, I'll give one quick thing on it. We, we have a, a committee of folks and um, and our, our senior associate AD, who I think is watching today, I give her a shout out, Celine Cunningham is, is all over that. And, and, and back to Michael's point, it's not something that we'd start thinking about a couple of weeks before. Um, it's something that's been in the works. Um, so I think getting on things early and knowing what's, what's happening on the calendar, even in a, in a COVID year is important. And we've got some of our staff and our, some of our assistant coaches um, who have been been helping out in that but what are you all thoughts on uh on national women uh, girls and women in sport day and signing day i think tapping into your uh digital resources is going to be necessary a that's been i think the tale of our lives for the last uh 10 months especially um but tapping into that and then looking at the date that it falls on i was actually doing some more research because normally we do some things with like marketing and all of our uh, women's sports teams and we can still find ways to engage so showcasing uh some of your uh, student student athletes and coaches and staff who identify as women um on different platforms um as well as it falls in february february which i was doing research and found that um one of the reasons that it was the day was created was in honor of um a, a student uh, an athlete who identified as black Right. And so like that's the way you can incorporate a few different things in that month because this Black History Month is um, this special day that promotes women and girls in sport. And then obviously National Signing Day is a big deal. So I'm going to leave that part out of it. But the more important piece, I think, is recognizing uh, that day still and finding ways to maybe incorporate um, a few pieces that that matter for that. Yeah, I think recognition is, is, is key and not that anyone's looking to be recognized, but I think it's something that if you want to, if you if you're intentional about it, you're not just doing it just to do it. And we talked about graphics before, where it's, uh, you know one of the questions was about 
are we going to do graphics or how do you do black history month graphics without just doing a graphic and then just leaving it at that i think this has to be the same way you have to be very intentional with what your messaging is um and so for for that day leading up to that day you should have an idea and a plan on how you plan on executing that because again with signing period coming up uh, with everything else that's going on during that time frame, i'm sure there's other games with the crossovers and everything like that it, something can be left off but if you plan accordingly for it you can have that and execute that you know leaning up to that day so you're not just trying to throw something together on that day yeah i think great I think raising awareness is always important in this, but you know, my approach to to these type of of days is to try to come up with something that that's off the beaten path, right? That's something that's a new uh, approach to this. So, you know, there are definitely careers in in this space that we can encourage women and, and girls to to develop interest in. And I think trying to focus on different um, ways to uh, get into uh, sports, I think, is also a great a great uh, resource and, and way for us to raise awareness around around these issues. Um, we're gonna make that our last question. We're just a little bit before the hour. So um, first of all, thank you to uh, all the panelists. It's been uh, great being with you rock stars here. Um, thank you to everybody for joining us today in a very uh, hopefully informative session. Hopefully we can do it again. The, uh, the mailbag, uh, we can open it up. I'm, I'm, I'm offering up our services, <laughs> everybody. Um, but big thanks to everybody for your insights. Just a reminder, you can find this webinar on demand later this afternoon on CoSIDA.com, on CoSIDA's YouTube channel, and in podcast format. All the links will be on the CoSIDA.com website. Uh, all the on-demand options are free of charge, so feel free to spread those around. Um, and a reminder, there are two other January live webinars on tap. This Thursday, January 21st, the Canadian SID group is presenting a Zoom webinar on engaging alumni audiences at 2 p.m. Eastern. On Thursday, January 28th, join the NCAA Media Coordination Statistics staff members as they answer your questions on COVID-19 policies for fall, in-spring sports, and record-keeping and statistics. There's something you never thought you'd hear before a year ago. Um, but uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Hope everybody stays well and safe and that we get back to a little bit more normal here in 2021. So panel, it's been great. Thank you so much for uh, joining me and um, we'll see everybody soon. Thank you.